Well, good morning and happy Father's Day. I uh, want to thank you for being here this morning as we come to look at God's Word and particularly focus a bit on fathers and what the scriptures have to say to those of us in that role. And thanks for praying for me this week as I uh, studied for this message. As we begin, I want to thank all you fathers both here and in the audience and those online. Thanks for your labor of love for your families. I should tell you that as I prepared for today, I found the subject of fathers pretty emotional. As I thought of my own father and the love for me that he had and how he shaped my life up until his death in 2008. Certainly being a father is not an easy task at times and encompasses a great responsibility that can even be a bit frightening if you stop and think about it. And yet it's an enormous privilege that the Lord bestows upon a man and a great blessing for which we can truly be grateful. I, I know it isn't good to compare, but while many think of Mother's Day and Father's Day as similar occasions, many others, especially children, think there's a big difference. For as one young boy described the two celebrations, with Father's Day, it's kind of like Mother's Day, only you don't have to spend near so much on a gift. <laughs> and that's probably a true statement. For while moms tend to get lots of encouragement, cards, gifts, and those warm fuzzies on Mother's Day, dads usually get treated with less. Even in the gifts or thank yous they receive, leading some to comment that dads get the, the short end of the stick. But I will tell you personally, I have never felt that way if you were to try and compare the two occasions. However, interesting enough, if you look at some commentators, they echoed that same sentiment by analyzing the sermons that are preached on the two Sundays, stating that <clears throat> those on Mother's Day usually set out to encourage moms, and all they do as mothers uh, always are in that uh, process. And yet then on Father's Day, preachers take that Sunday to really exhort the dads that they need to do a better job. Now, I want to tell you fathers, that is not my intent here by any means this morning, but my intent is to challenge you and myself to really examine your role in fatherhood and to see if you're fulfilling the godly responsibilities that the Lord sets out to follow. By way of a little history, I know some of you like history, Mother's Day started in 1914. The campaign to celebrate Father's Day did not meet with the same enthusiasm for as one florist stated, fathers haven't the same sentimental appeal that mothers have, especially when it comes to flowers. And that is true. So it was actually two years later in 1916 that President Woodrow Wilson and his family personally observed the day. Then it was eight years later that President Calvin Coolidge signed a resolution in favor of Father's Day stating to establish more intimate relations between fathers and their children and to impress upon fathers the full measure of their obligations. Then in 1966, President Lyndon Johnson signed an executive order that the holiday be celebrated on the third Sunday in June. And then lastly, under President Nixon, 
1972, Congress passed an act officially making Father's Day a national holiday. One other thought before we begin. I know that many of you fathers grew up in a Christian home and had a godly father and his example. And yet, many of you grew up in a non-Christian home but have purposed yourself to become leaders of your own family so that each of your children will have a godly example to follow. Like Joshua of old challenged the people in Joshua 24:15, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I know that is your commitment as well, and I applaud you for that. Yet looking back at my own parenting, when my children were at home, I know that I had many shortcomings that failed to lead and shepherd my children the way that I should have, for which I've had to personally ask forgiveness of them and the Lord. Yet God's grace has been sufficient as I've been convicted of these weaknesses for 2 Corinthians. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities or weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I want you fathers to know that it is the man seeking the best for his family who is not ashamed to admit these times of weaknesses and insufficiency. And yes, even shed a tear or two as he faces the challenges of leading his own family. And he is also one who looks up to God in these times of confession, knowing it is the Lord who is the all-sufficient one to give strength to press on. So with that introduction, I titled this message, The Role of the Godly Husband and Father. So let's, let's pray as we begin. Father, I thank you for what you've taught me, how you've convicted me, how you've encouraged me, and the role of a father as I prepare for this message. And I pray, Lord, that my words would be your words today, that the truth of the scriptures would ring true, as we look at various aspects of fatherhood. I pray that you would equip the men, the fathers in our assembly, to be those fathers that you called them to be. So just help us to stay attentive, and to focus, and to learn, Lord. That's how we can apply the scriptures in our life. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, since this is more of a topical message... I, I thought I could go all different ways. I mean, I, I am an empty nester. I, I don't have any children at home. So I could approach it from that aspect. Or I could approach it from a younger viewpoint with you that have little ones' babies on up. And I decided because there's so many children at our assembly, so many younger parents, that I would approach it from that aspect. So that's what we'll be looking at. Multiple passages, just not the one in Ephesians. And I want to give you a heads up that throughout this message, I've interspersed nine questions. If you don't have a pencil or a pen, I would encourage you to get this, to write these down. Nine questions that I want you to think about as we go throughout this. And I want to give you a little homework. These questions are for the fathers the husbands, but for all of you that are not in that role, I want to give you an assignment. 
Wives, I want you to pick out at least two of these questions, these attributes that you see your husband doing well in. And all the rest of you, children, I want you to think about your own dad and the things that you see that are positive in these aspects. And for the rest of you, think about your own fathers and pick out two that your dad excelled in. And if you can, if you can, all of you, I'd encourage you to tell your father about these two or more things, even today on this special Father's Day. So that's the assignment, and we'll begin by looking at the passage Michael read in Ephesians 5. So turn there, if you will, we're going to read just verses 22 through 27. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be unto their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. I call this initial section, the husband, the father, is the presider over the family. In this passage, husbands, you are exhorted to be the head of your wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. As part of that commandment, you are to love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Sadly, for many husbands, it is so easy to read that section of scripture and miss how vital and important it is to be the head of your wife and your family. In fact, so many people, so many men, struggle with being the spiritual leader and presider over their family. Why is that? Why are men quick to shirk their God-given responsibilities as spiritual leaders and let their wives be the leaders instead? I would say there are a number of reasons. Here are a few. The husband did not have a biblical example in his own father growing up. And therefore he doesn't assume that role in his own family. The wife has a personality that is more take charge. Whereas the husband is more passive. Or, sometimes this happens. The wife has corrected the husband in front of the children. And it's discouraged him. Or he doesn't feel qualified. And wives, maybe some of you remind your husband, don't you know that? Or he just doesn't know how. Or even worse, he's just plain lazy. Doesn't care to be the leader. Now husbands and fathers, I hope none of these reasons exists in your own home. But this morning, let me give you just three ways you can be the head or presider. And as I said, I'm addressing these thoughts mainly to the father since it's Father's Day. First is presider over your family. Follow the scriptures and be a leader. Common sense tells you that being a leader means you're leading others. They're following you. But what kind of leader is Christ calling you fathers to be? 
Follow along as I read Mark 10, 42 through 45. But Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, Ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you, but whosoever shall be great among you shall be minister or servant, and whosoever you will be chiefest shall be servant of all. Christ was the perfect servant leader. And that is what he calls fathers to be. Sadly, the typical father of today is known for the exact opposite. Authoritarian. Tough. Even sometimes called mean. Most struggle with real anger issues. And that's what a child grows up with. Fearing their own father. But that is not what a servant leader is all about. For the key that Christ speaks of here is humility. Casting aside pride. I'm not telling you anything you don't know, but the sin of pride can and will destroy relationships in the home. All because the Father is unwilling to show humility. Now one other point worth mentioning here as I think about pride, and that has to do with the sin of hypocrisy. Whether you see it, fathers, I assure you that your children know, assuredly, whether you are the same outside the home as inside the home. A godly leader is never hypocritical, saying one thing and doing another. For if that is the case, your children will become exactly like you. Don't be a leader that demonstrates pride and hypocrisy, but instead be a leader that demonstrates humility. Humility that is, is genuinely concerned about the souls of those in your home that you are leading. God intends you to be a spiritual leader that is guiding his family towards spiritual maturity so that they will be fully equipped and no longer be infants, as Ephesians speaks of, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. That leads me to question number one. What kind of leader are you? What kind of leader are you for your family? A servant leader? Or are you a leader at all? Secondly, be an example. 1 Peter 2.21 for even here unto you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, Christ our example, that you should follow his steps, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Certainly there's a lot in that verse, but to be presider over your family, you must be a godly example to your wife and children. And in following Christ's example, you must be willing to deny yourself. Luke 9.23, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Denying yourself takes many forms, but just one for you to consider this morning. That being your time. Time is such an important factor in being an example. Men, what do you do when you come home from work? Well, hopefully you kiss your wife first. But what do you do next? Is there a time with the children? 
If you consider the typical father of today, he is for the most part very, very selfish with his time. I worked all day. I'm tired. I need some time for myself. Sadly, according to the U.S. Census Bureau, one in three children live without their biological father. A staggering number that is certainly having significant implications. Yet even for many homes with two parents, the father is simply uninvolved in a child's life. Yet we know that children learn by emulating those around them, particularly their parents. So fathers, how are you spending your time? Do your children see you spending time individually in God's word? Do your children see you spending time praying with them before bed? Do your children see you spending time with them in family worship? Do you see your children see you spending time with your wife? Time together is what makes a family that requires makes a family and that requires denying yourself. Second question. What kind of example are you setting for your family? Especially as it relates to time. Thirdly, be an intercessor. As a presider, I cannot say enough about the importance of praying for your family. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Are you coming boldly before the throne of grace, interceding on behalf of your wife and children? Are you and your wife praying together? That's another thing. Husbands, wives, seldom pray together. Are you and your wife praying together for your children and their individual needs? Prayer takes time, but I truly believe God rewards time spent in prayer. One practical way that Barbara and I discovered years ago is that we have seven children. So we take one night a week and pray for that child, their spouse, and their children. We pray for unity in the marriage, for godly wisdom for the parents, for, for specific requests that we know about, and particularly for the salvation of our many unsaved grandchildren. Be an intercessor in prayer. Question three. Are you praying for your family members? Well, let's move on to the second section this morning. I'm calling this, The Husband, the Father, is the Provider for the Family. There are three areas of providing that God seemed to direct me to. The first, the logical, physical provision. First Timothy 5.8 says, But if any provide not for his own, and specifically for those of his own house or household, he hath denied the faith and is worse than, an worse than an infidel or an unbeliever. In this verse, Paul emphasized the responsibility of a man as head of his family to provide for his family. And if he doesn't do this, his conduct is worse than an unbeliever. This is very strong language that all of us husbands and fathers need to take to heart. I'm so thankful for my own father 
who really patterned this verse in providing for my mother and my sister and I. All of my children growing up called their grandfather, my dad, Pop. And when I spoke at his funeral, I used that acronym to describe him. P, people. My dad loved people, and he loved being with people. O, occupation. My dad was one of the hardest workers of anybody that I ever knew, and he taught me the value of work. He was such an example in that area. And then the last P, peace. Peace of knowing of the eternal life that awaited him. Man, God expects you and requires you as the husband and father to provide for your family. And I, and I trust you're doing that. As an aside, a word to you young men who aren't married but aspire to be a husband and father one day if the Lord wills. As you grow older, realize the importance of saving now for a later time when you are married. Again, my dad was a wonderful example. For once, I was in high school, and I got my very first job. He told me, Friday night, we're going to the bank. And I would go with him every Friday night. He put his check in the bank, I put my check in the bank. I was living at home. I had very little expense. And so I could save almost my entire check every single week. For one day, Lord willing, I would get married. And then that day came. I found my bride. And after we were dated for two years, I was ready to get married. And I asked her. She didn't say yes initially, but she did. And so I went to her parents. To ask if I could have her hand in marriage. Knowing her dad was going to ask me, Brad, can you provide for her? I was ready with an answer. For God had blessed me with a father who had really prepared me for that moment. Question number four. Are you physically providing for your family? Secondly, emotional provision. What do I mean by this? Ephesians 6, 4, And you fathers provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture, training, and admonition of the Lord. Colossians repeats this verse saying, Not to provoke your children lest they be discouraged. No doubt these verses are here in the Bible to warn fathers not to provoke your children to wrath. Because the Lord knew fathers, even Christian fathers, would be prone to sin in this area. My Bible says in the footnotes, Fathers can provoke their children to wrath by injustice, loss of temper, undue severity, cruelty, favoritism, suppression, sarcasm, ridicule, and misuse or abuse of authority. On the other hand, nurture and admonition means training and spiritual education. Fathers, your role in providing godly emotional training is critical in the spiritual education of your children. Don't fall into the sin of provoking your children, but instead know your children, love your children, and encourage your children in the ways of the Lord. 
And I'll say a little bit more about this later on. But Question number five. Are you emotionally providing for your family or are you provoking them? And then thirdly, practical provision. Ephesians 4.28 Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. Fathers and mothers, in the world we find ourselves living in right now, most children have no concept of what work really is. Why? Because they spend hours and hours on their phones, watching TV, on the internet, playing video games. And if there's no work concept, as this verse says, then no doubt there are no resources to give to him that needeth when the time comes. Very simply, it is you fathers that must take the lead in teaching your children how to work. As I said earlier, my dad taught me so much as I worked alongside of him throughout the years. Whether it be changing the in my car, to swinging a hammer, to drive a nail, to operating mechanical tools, to driving a stick shift, watching him budget and save for an item to buy, the importance of not going into debt, just plain common sense that I learned just by his side. Yet many young men of today have none of those skills or values because the father's nowhere around. Mothers, this can be applied to you just as easily. Teach your daughters what it means to be a homemaker. How to cook. A lot of young ladies have no idea how to cook. How to clean. How to do laundry. How to set a table. How to sew on a button. How to take care of babies. How to change a diaper. Don't be afraid to ask your children to work. Otherwise they will be idle. And that is dangerous. Very dangerous. Both in short and long term ways. Question number six. Are you practically providing for your family? Are you taking your children under your wings and teaching them vital skills? The whole essence of work. That leads me to a final section today as I want to read John 10, verse 11 through 14. Actually, I have it here on the screen so you can follow. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. I called this third and last section, the husband father is the protector of the family. We often see in the scriptures a picture that the Lord paints for us of the shepherd who cares for his sheep. He rescues his sheep. He protects his sheep from themselves and from their enemies. And he lovingly disciplines his sheep. This is why Christ himself is the great shepherd. For he doesn't drive his sheep. Instead, he leads them. He calls them by name. 
My wife and I were talking yesterday how times that we are upon us, they're more perilous than ever before, where the devil would love to devour our children. And that's why you as a father and you as a mother must protect your sheep. While children are so prone to, prone to wander off the righteous path that leads to sin and destruction, and while we know God is sovereign and we can trust him for ultimate protection, we also know that we have a God-given responsibility to be proactive in guarding the hearts of our children. And how can we do that? Father, Jesus, particularly for you, know your children. Christ tells us in these verses in here in John that he knows his sheep. Fathers, do you know each of your children? I mean, I don't mean do you know their birth dates. Do you know your children? To do that, as I stated earlier, it takes time. It's a special one-on-one -on -one time, listening and understanding their individual needs and knowing how to protect them. A personal case in point. Early on in my fatherhood, that was a major failure of mine. I was, I was so involved in my early career that left little time for my wife and my children. And looking back, I, I call this time failures of a father. When my first two children reached school age, my wife wanted to homeschool. But I insisted we send them to a Christian school. Well, first a public school for kindergarten and then a Christian school. I thought everything was going well as the week progressed. But, but it wasn't, although I was oblivious to it. Yet my wife kept telling me that one of our daughters was struggling with getting involved in ungodly friendships. Yes, even in a Christian school, there are ungodly children wooing them others into sin. Sometime after a few weeks of school, we had our st standard scheduled parent-teacher conferences. And when we met with the teacher, she indicated how well that child was doing in school with all the subjects. I, I was beaming. I thought to myself, see Barb, she's doing fine. And then when we got up to leave, the teacher said, can you sit back down for a minute? I do have one concern. Here's what she said. Your child hangs around the wrong crowd and I'm concerned what may result from this. I, I was devastated. Could it be my wife was right? So I did something I never dreamed I would do. There was a, a field trip coming up. So I said, I'll drive. Big station wagon. I'll drive. I'll take all the kids or some of them. We're going to a museum up in Topeka. And were my eyes opened to the truth as I witnessed firsthand my child and my lack of protection as a father. We were actually kicked out of that museum because the children were so unruly. God used that event so much in my life. As I said, it's a failure. But as a result of that, it was so good because I made some major changes. Know your children. Do you know your children?
And that's the next question, number seven. Secondly, be the protector by encouraging your children. You may be thinking, protect your children by encouraging them? What do you mean by that? Yes, fathers, by encouraging them with your words, with your presence, and with your support. Not provoking, not discouraging, but instead encouraging. Psalms 103 speaks of a father showing compassion, pity to his children. Proverbs 25.11 speaks of a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver. Your compassion, your words as a father to your children mean so much to them. Michael read earlier in Ephesians 6 where it says, Children, you're to obey your parents. Children, you're to honor your father and mother. And yet all too often, children feel forced to rebel against that umbrella of protection when they feel their fathers don't know them, don't communicate with them, let alone understand them. As there is really no compassion, no words of encouragement, just criticism. What often, often happens then, they turn to their peers where they do receive encouragement, often the wrong kind, because the relationship with their fathers has deteriorated. I cannot tell you cannot let that happen. Question number eight. Are you encouraging your children? And then lastly, love and discipline your children. 1 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12 says, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father doth his children, that ye would walk worthy of God, who has called you into his kingdom and glory. Fathers, hopefully you've seen this morning that you have a God-given obligation to instruct your children in God's word. Proverbs 4.1 says, Hear ye children the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. Yet with this instruction, as 1 Thessalonians says here, there must be exhortation, and at times there must be discipline. Why? Because they, you want your children to walk worthy of God. You don't want what it says in Proverbs. A child left to himself brings his mother to shame. Such training and instruction will at times require discipline, but never, ever out of anger. Only out of love. And your children will sense that. They will. Last question. Are you dis disciplining your children with love? I close today with Proverbs 17.6. Has this been such an encouragement to me, especially as my role as a father and now grandfather? Children's children are the crown of old men, and the glory of children are their fathers. Now I'm addressing the children. Children, I have one last question for you. More than likely, your fathers have made mistakes just like I have done many times over the years. Yet in the midst of these failures, they love you a great deal. And I hope you realize that and thank the Lord for the special Father God has given you. 
I grew up in a family that wasn't too affectional. I mean, I hugged my mother even when I was older. But I never really hugged my dad. Again, a failure. For one day, God really convicted me of this. So the next time I saw my dad, it took all my energy, but I just humbled myself and I went up and I hugged my dad. It really took him by surprise. But it was like, it was like a permanent bond went between us that day. And from that day forward, every time I saw my dad, which wasn't often, we gave each other a big hug. Children on this Father's Day, June 19th, 2022. I don't know what kind of relationship you have with your own father. But my final question to ask yourself, ask yourself is this. Is there anything I could do to enhance my relationship with my father? Maybe it's as simple as telling him thank you. Maybe it's as simple as giving him a hug. So, let's pray. Father, we thank you for the father's and the audience today, we thank you for just the role you've given to each of them and to me. Lord, forgive us for the many times we've failed. Lord, help us just to realize the importance of humbling ourselves, confessing those things, and changing to be the fathers you've called us to be. I pray, Lord, that this would be a special day in the homes represented here as we celebrate Father's Day. And just thank you, Lord, for your continuing goodness to us in spite of when we, we don't deserve it. So, let's pray this in Christ's name. Amen.